A lady came home with a very expensive dress, and her husband was not happy. When he asked, why did you buy that dress? She said, the devil made me do it. To that he replied, why didn't you say, get behind me, Satan? She said, I did, but he said, it looks better from behind. The devil made me do it. You've heard that line, right? Well, it's a lie, just like the five other lies that are more devastating than that one that we're about to uncover about the devil. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the app Shut Up Devil. I'm all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I am here to do it every single week with a live online audience, and I'd love for you to join me live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Okay. You know that what you believe affects what you do, right? What you believe influences how you talk. In Luke 6.45, Jesus says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. What you believe influences how you walk. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It steers you. I teach so much about lies because they are at the root of just about all of our fruitless and harmful emotions and behaviors. You know, for years... It was believed that you could burn fat in an area of your body by jiggling the fat in that area. So these vibration belts were invented that you strapped around your waist and just let it shake. The bad belief behind this behavior led people to waste time and money on something that didn't work. It's the same or worse about how much worse, how doctors used to try to heal people. Ever heard of bloodletting? For years, it was believed that illness comes from the body having too much blood. So to try to cure the illness, people would go to barber shops. You heard that right, barber shops, to have their blood drained. That wasn't only fruitless, but harmful. Thankfully, we've learned a thing or two since then. One of them, which shouldn't have taken until the 1800s to learn because the truth was in the Bible all along. In Leviticus, it says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So the answer to health is not to reduce the very source of life. Anyway, you get the point, right? Beliefs can make us do fruitless, even harmful things. You know, for about 10 years after I began my serious relationship with the Lord, I believed a lot of things that influenced me to do a lot of things. Not good things always. Many of which were fruitless and exhausted me. Some of which were harmful and created more battles than what they promised to fix. Some of these beliefs were lies about me. Some were lies about God. I explore those in my Shut Up Devil book. 
but some were lies about the devil himself. And I'm telling you, some of you are in the same place I was, doing some fruitless and harmful things because you are believing some or all of these five lies about the devil that I'm about to uncover. The first lie that people believe about the devil is that God created him. This lie is harmful because it puts into question God's good character, which causes people to distrust him. Some people think God created the devil. So then he's the one ultimately responsible for all the evil in the world. They think God is therefore the one responsible for their pain and their suffering. And we could tease out that theology more. Did God intend it or did God allow it? That might be a separate message. But for all intents and purposes, that debate doesn't really matter. Because in most people's mind, giving permission is as good as him doing it. So do you see how the belief that God created the devil is harmful? Nobody wants to be in a close relationship with somebody they believe is the cause of their hurt. So what's the truth? The truth is that God created Lucifer, an angel of light. Light bearer is actually what Lucifer means. And it describes him in Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 12. You were the model of perfection full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. And then it goes on to list all of these stones like moonstone and green jasper and turquoise and emerald. There's a list of them there. And I explain more of them in my teaching series, Divine Dynamite. But the kinds of stones, every one of them, when you look into them all, that are listed here in this passage, are very revealing about God's original intention for Lucifer, the angel of light. He was covered in these stones. You see, every stone listed is a stone that reflects and refracts light. So you might think of them like mirrors. The beauty is only seen then in the presence of an external source of light because it takes that light and reflects it, and shines it out. So that was Lucifer's purpose. He was created to bear, to reflect the light of God, the glory of God. The source of his beauty was only in the presence of God. God was the source of his beauty. So what happened? What changed? Ezekiel goes on to describe that Lucifer started to take credit for the beauty. He wanted the glory all to himself. In verse 17, it says, Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. So God banished him from heaven to earth. We'll get into why that's important in the next lie or two. But the truth about the devil that you have to know is that God did not create him. God did not intend him. God did not want him. God did not control him. And you might say, well, doesn't God control everything? No, actually, he doesn't. 
He could control everything, yes. It's within his power to control everything, yes. But as I said in last week's teaching, in order to allow real love to be given and received, he decided not to control everything and created a system of free choice. Free choice is the most loving thing God could provide. Otherwise, we'd all be puppets. And apparently, angels, at least at some point, had free choice like we still do. And Lucifer, and according to other scriptures, other angels with him, chose to rebel against God out of pride. So God didn't create the devil. Lucifer created the devil. The devil created himself out of his own pride and rebellion. Okay, so Lucifer was banished to the earth, which is where he became the enemy. And that brings us to the second lie people believe about the devil, which is that the devil is in hell. If I ask you to describe Satan to me, many of you would describe him as a red guy with horns and a pitchfork orchestrating all the evil from his command center in hell. First, you should know that he isn't red with horns and a pitchfork. The truth is you probably wouldn't recognize the devil by how he looks because the Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. He's still trying to be what he once was. So to most people, the devil looks good. To most people, the devil looks like everything they ever wanted. So like I said, most people won't recognize the devil by how he looks. You recognize him by how he sounds. Which is anything contrary to God's word and God's good character. But where does he spend his time? Believe it or not, the Bible doesn't say hell. I understand that there's been some maybe more experiential theology that suggests he's in hell, but it doesn't come from Scripture. Scripture says that hell is the place that is prepared for Satan and his angels, a place they will be thrown into in the end. But nowhere does it suggest that he's there right now. As we saw in Ezekiel, God banished him to earth. Ezekiel 28, 17 says, So I threw you to the ground. In 1 Peter 5, 8, the apostle Peter likens the enemy to a lion, which he says prowls around looking for someone. So he's around people. He's on earth. Revelation 12, verse 10, it says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters that means other Christians, has been thrown down to earth. So the devil is not in hell. He's on earth, prowling, studying people like a lion, determining our weaknesses, and then using them to accuse people. Now the next part of that verse, Revelation 12.10, leads us to the next lie that people believe about the devil. The verse says, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And if you stop there, then you'll 
believe what a lot of people do, that the enemy is collecting all this evidence of your faults and failures to present a case to God as to why he shouldn't accept you, love you, to change God's mind about you ultimately. That's why the third lie about the devil is that he can change God's mind about you. He can't. Hear this. The devil can't change God's mind about you. The enemy can't convince God to be disappointed in you, to unlove you, to hate you. If for no other reason, then it's not possible for God not to love because it's what he's made of. The Bible says God is love. That's why his love is unconditional. It can't be turned on and off. God simply cannot not be who he is. There's no amount of evidence that the enemy can provide to make God love you less. Romans 8.38 basically says this. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither angels nor demons, he says. It's harmful to believe that the devil can change God's mind about you because it'll put you on a spiritual treadmill of trying to earn and earn and earn every time you fail, which will make your life a roller coaster of ups and downs like it did mine. I was like, look, Lord, I read my Bible for 30 days straight. Am I forgiven now? Am I loved now? Okay, good. I'm feeling good until I'd blow it in some way. And then I thought I'd lost it all again. And I'd try to climb my way back up the mountain to God's love only to slip and fall again. Over and over and over. Trust me, the devil is very happy to keep you in this cycle because it keeps you from intimacy with God. And really, it keeps you only focused on yourself and what you do or don't do. If I were to teach a message just on this point here, I could show you many verses that show why the devil can't change God's mind about you. But really, the simple truth you need to know is that the devil's accusations are not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. And if you continue from Revelation 12.10 to verse 11, that's exactly what it says. And they, speaking of Christians, have defeated the accuser by the blood of the Lamb and their testimony. Let me reemphasize that. They have defeated him. The fourth lie that people believe about the devil is that he's very powerful. Now, he is still present, and he is still active. Just as Peter said, he prowls, just as John, who wrote Revelation, said, he still accuses. That's what causes many people to overemphasize his power and really to be afraid of him or see him in everything, everywhere, under every rock, the cause of every sniffle, symptom, and struggle. Don't give the devil that much credit. He's crafty, but he's not creative. 
He's effective, but he's not everywhere. He can inject thoughts into you, but he can't read your thoughts. He can change your mind, but he can't change God's mind. He can influence emotions and actions, but he can't make you do anything. The devil didn't make you do it like the lady who bought that dress claimed. I'm going to show you something that most people don't know about the enemy's defeat. Let's go to Colossians 2.14. Here Paul takes us to the cross, which is the moment of the devil's defeat. I know some people say that Jesus went into hell and had to defeat Satan there. Well, as we said, Satan's not in hell, so Jesus didn't have to go to hell to defeat the devil there. The defeat didn't happen anywhere but the cross. That's what it says here. Paul says he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That describes the moment that you were forgiven of past, present, and future sins. That's another reason why, as I said in the last point, that the devil can't change God's mind about you because you are forgiven. But let's continue on to verse 15. In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The meaning of that verse has gotten a bit lost in translation. What the original readers would have understood, what that verse describes, is that the cross was an event called a triumphal procession. You say, what is that, Kyle? Some Bible versions call it a parade. I think the message version illustrates it the best. It says, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority and marched them naked through the streets. You see, that's what a triumphal procession was. It was an event that happened after a victorious army came back from a war. During the war, they captured the leader of the enemy army, and sometimes they cut off his fingers and toes. Definitely, they took his weapons. And to prove to their people that the enemy truly was defeated and no longer a threat, you know, because they didn't have broadcast news like we did. So they actually had to prove to people, display that this enemy was defeated. And they did it through this parade, whereby they'd march the enemy leader naked through the streets. Now, he was still alive. He was still present. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he could even shout things as he passed by the people, kind of as the last desperate attempt of a madman. But he really was powerless to do anything to the people anymore. So there was no reason for the people to be afraid of him anymore. That is what this verse is showing us. Yes, at one point, there was a tug of war for your soul that the enemy had waged. There was a power that he held against you. But because of Jesus and your faith in what he did, the war for your soul is over. The cross dethroned him, 
The Bible says that the blood of Jesus speaks against him. And Paul wrote this verse to show we believers that though the devil may still be alive, he's only alive to kick and scream, but he's been stripped of his power. He can't really do anything to defeat you anymore because even if his kicking and screaming makes your surroundings uncomfortable or gives you a headache, the victory is, as my friend Ann Voskamp says so well, the victory is that your way home is secured. Somebody's got to get this. Though you may really be struggling, your struggles are only the last desperate attempts of a madman who is defeated, but your way home is secure. He can't take that away. If you have placed your faith in the fact that Jesus did the work for the forgiveness of your sins, that you don't have to work them off yourself, then the Bible says that the power of sin is dead in your life. It doesn't mean you don't sin. Nobody's saying that. It just means it can't do anything to you. Sure, the enemy can use it to accuse you, and it can have natural consequences, of course. But the enemy can't use it to define you nor separate you from God anymore. He's lost his power. But if you believe that the devil is more powerful than he really is, then first you might actually believe what he's shouting at you. And that's harmful for all kinds of reasons. If for nothing else, then you only rise to the level of who you believe you are. But secondly, it's going to cause you to waste your time on a whole lot of fruitless efforts. And take it from someone who's been there. Starting at 16 years old, I went head first into the faith. I mean, I went to a Christian undergrad school. I worked for one of the 15 largest churches in the country. For a time, I was in church every day of the week. Monday was advanced Bible study. Tuesday was spiritual growth seminar. Wednesday, I was a youth leader. Thursday was small group. Friday was intercessory prayer. Then there was Saturday night service followed by Sunday morning service. I eventually then became second in charge of another ministry. I went to seminary and got my master's in biblical studies. I did all the eight steps to this and seven ways to pray for that. And 10 years into all that, I said to God, why am I still feeling so defeated? What more do I have to do? And God said, there's nothing more you have to do. In fact, he said, my doing was the problem. He said, I needed to stop fighting and trying to produce victory and start standing in the victory I already had because of Jesus. This brings me to the fifth lie that people believe about the devil. And that's that you have to fight the devil. Now, I can hear some of you thinking, but, 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 Kyle, what about James 4, 7? Where he says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, I am glad you asked because this actually proves my point. Again, some of this has gotten lost in translation a little bit. Two words are important for understanding this verse. 
first, as I teach so much, I feel like a broken record with this lately, but we got to understand this. The word devil is not just a name, it's a job description. Devil in Greek is diabolos, which means slanderer. And as I said, about all he can do is shout. Look what you've done. Look what you do. Look what you face. Look what you feel. God can't love you. God can't use you. You're not even a Christian. Well, you don't take boxing gloves to slander. You take truth to it. That word resist there is antistemi, which is the same word Peter uses in 1 Peter 5, 9 when he says stand firm against the devil. Resist is the same as the word stand. So you can read James 4, 7 to say stand against the slanderer and he will flee from you. And you do that simply by renewing your mind and being so convinced of God's truths about you, that he loves you, that you're good with him, of who you are and what you have in him, that even though You might hear the enemy's accusations. You might hear his shouts. You might hear his roars. They won't sink in. They don't sink in. Not when you are standing on truth. Not when you are so convinced with your ultimate reality, which is the truth of God's word. Listen. The devil is real, but he isn't God's fault. He's mad at God for banishing him out of heaven. And he's mad at you because as one made in God's image, you remind him of who he can never be. But since he can't do anything to God, nor change God's mind, he prowls the earth, lying and accusing, to try to change your mind. But that's all he can do. Because the reality is, he's defeated. The cross dethroned him, and the blood of Jesus speaks against him. So don't waste your energy trying to fight a devil who is defeated, but simply stand in the victory of the one who defeated him. Okay. I covered a lot in this message. Each one of these points could be their own message, really. But this perspective of spiritual warfare, I guess you could call it, is fairly unique in the world of spiritual warfare resources. Many teach how to fight. I teach you how to stand. It's what worked in my life, and I am only going to give you what's worked for me. So I created an audio teaching series that uncovers everything you need to know about the enemy and how to use the three most powerful weapons that God gives us to help us stand in victory. I call this series Divine Dynamite, and it's available on mp3 at kylewinkler.org dynamite. The series is nearly two hours of teaching through four messages, the profile of the accuser, the blood that speaks, 
wielding the weapon of the word and the power in Jesus' name. Through these teachings, you'll discover how to turn the tables on the devil and go from being under attack to living on the attack. Get the series on MP3 now. You can start listening now at kylewinkler.org slash dynamite. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.